Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus on the emotional connection more than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. What's up, fighters, fathers, and feelers? To episode 105 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Patch, and with me, ready to go to war, is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. Hello. And Patch, we were actually expecting to be joined by someone for this episode, but sadly, that's not going to be the case. We announced the last few weeks that our super patron, Jason Kroll, was going to be standing in as a guest for this episode. He really loves this film, and he was super excited to talk about it. Um, He had supported us at a rate that we had offered him a chance to come on the show. And then we just kind of developed a friendship after that. And it was going to be good, but unfortunately he had some family issues come up and he was unable to be here. So we're saddened by that, but we do have his connecting point, And so I will for sure point that out when we get to it. Well, fantastic, man. So we'll keep him in spirit as we, uh, as we talk through this and we are excited to talk about it, but before we do, let's go ahead and kick off as we always do with what we've been up to. Aaron, why don't you lead us off, man? Sure. Well, man, oh man, that is my initial, what we've been up to. I always do this, Patrick. I get on a run of films that have a similar theme or actor or director. It's what we love about director month. I know I've mentioned this before. And recently I watched a couple heist films kind of preparing myself for our top five episode. We're going to do for bonus content at the end of this month. There were a couple blind spots I had. Well, the one that I wanted to revisit the most is Heat by Michael Mann. This is a movie that so many people I know love, right? They call this a masterpiece. It's considered just this epic crime drama. It's got Al Pacino, Robert De Niro opposing each other. I mean, what couldn't be perfect about that? Val Kilmer as a sidekick assassin. I mean, it's pretty great. And so I was like, I I don't remember loving this movie. What's wrong with me? Well, I've never liked Michael Mann or... At least that's how I remember in my head my relationship with Michael Mann as a director. It's weird because one of his films is in my top 20 of all time, and that's The Last of the Mohicans. However, the majority of his movies are crime dramas. Other than Last of the Mohicans, maybe Ali, which was okay for me, uh, and Public Enemies, which is still kind of a crime drama. It's just a really older crime drama. They're all in that similar style, and I didn't really like many of them, but I didn't not like them the rest of them i just didn't love them to the extent that some people did so i watched heat and i gotta say i was so much more impressed with it this time around that led me to checking out a couple other of his films new ones for me that i really enjoyed and also re-watching one that i didn't like from a couple years ago that was chris hemsworth starring in this movie called black hat have you ever heard of that uh, yeah, I heard of it and I heard to stay away from it for one scene and one scene only. And that would be, um, a so-called hacking scene. And I'm putting hacking in, qu- in air quotes. <laughs> Great. I'm, I'm so glad you heard that. So this was actually a couple years ago before I was a member of the press here in Seattle and I would attend early screenings and I would have to stand in line for like two and a half, three hours to get in. I remember seeing Black Hat. I was pretty upset that I stood in line for two and a half hours to see this movie. I hated it. I, re- I reread my Letterboxd review 
and it was scathing <laughs> for this film. I mean, <laughs> the, the thing is, Hollywood has yet to figure out a way to depict hacking on screen that is interesting. Usually it's just a really buff actor or a really ridiculously nerdy looking actor banging away on a keyboard and that's hacking. Okay. It's, it's crazy. Like this movie doesn't make a lot of sense. It's just, I just don't like it. I could, I could rant about it. I'm not going to do that. Point being what I discovered is I really like a lot of Michael Mann's stuff, but I don't, like Black Hat still. So I'm kind of working my way through that filmography. I'm excited to continue on down that path. I'm I'm still kind of focused right now on the heist films, though. Rewatching some and checking out some new ones because I want to have as many under my belt as I can before we make our top five list. And I don't want to say more because, hey, maybe one of Michael Mann's movies makes my list. On the other, <laughs> you or know, at least your top seven or eight, because you'll probably end up having like three more than you're supposed to. What? Spoiler haters. alert. You're all haters. Whatever. Um, the other thing I was Check just going to mention, <laughs> mention real quick, and I won't go into depth on this, but is I've had a little bit of anime fever this last couple of weeks. I, I go through stages where I watch a lot of anime and I haven't for a while now. And so I was excited to check some out. Kids are with me uh, this last weekend. They're going to be with me again this next weekend. So I've had a lot of time with them. And I was like, we need a series to watch together. So we started this one that everybody's in love with right now. It's called My Hero Academia, or as my kids call it, My Hero Macadamia. Mm. Um, this is nutty. It is. It is nutty. That's what's so funny. <laughs> this is an awesome show. And I just got to say a shout out that everyone, E-Man, my buddy Mike, um, John, the reviewer from about to review podcast, like everybody who's told me to watch this movie or this, this, uh, anime, you're right. It is fantastic. And Patrick, you would enjoy the heck out of this one. It is about a world where superhero traits have appeared in the vast majority of the population. So think of, think of a world where all the majority of humans are now X-Men. Okay. That's essentially what we're operating under. And they have like a hero school. It's kind of like Hogwarts, only with superheroes and anime. It's amazing. Okay. It is just amazing. <laughs> it's got a lot of heart and it's wonderful. So I really, really love it. And then we've also, we're excited because a, a show called Gun Gale Online released just this week. So the first two episodes are out now. And it's a spinoff of a series called Sword Art Online, which we absolutely enjoy the heck out of it's one of our favorite animes It's kind of what got us into it in the first place and gun gale online is really cool because it's almost like an anime version of fortnite or PUBG. people like playing these virtual battle royale video games it's really good and it's got some good character development so far and the third one i started a series for myself which is about 700 episodes long, I think, is what I've heard. It's called Naruto, and good, everybody... Good luck. Good luck. Uh, yeah, okay. there's no, we know me. It's a miracle that I'm through like six, okay, and I'm still going. But uh, this Just show... Just give yourself a participation trophy and move on. Just do it. <laughs> I, I did. I completed Naruto, yeah, um, <laughs> by my standards. But it's, it's really good as well. Our buddy, again, E-Man... Uh, from E-Man's movie reviews was the one who pushed me to watch this. He said, just just give it a shot. I know it's long. Don't worry about trying to rush through it, but you're going to love it so much. And he's right so far. I really, really enjoy it. And it's something about the character development that I get in an anime series. 
in 22 minute episode chunks that appeals to me so much more than a long running form show like a Netflix show that's, you know, hour long episodes. And, right. uh, yeah, I just like it. It's, it, it's more for my attention span these days. So that's what I've been up to. I've been busy. That's some good stuff, man. Lots of, lots of marathoning. It seems like in terms of your movies and television and thematic stuff and, uh, all that. I'm glad you mentioned anime. This is something I actually didn't put in the notes, but I was going to, I was reminded, uh, kind of indirectly by my, what we've been, what we've been up to. Um, I mentioned to you, uh, and I think I mentioned to some people in, in our Facebook group about doing what I'm sort of calling my anime adventure. I know at the beginning of the year, a lot of us, um, were sort of committed to kind of finding a director and kind of plowing through his discography. I know that Reed Lackey has been, I don't know if he's the lone survivor of that because he's the Mr. Committed and we're proud of him for that. And we're grateful for his, uh, his content that he's producing for, uh, for feeling film. But I remember back in January, I was like, I'm going to go through uh, maybe a dozen anime films this year and uh, just kind of get a reaction. Maybe do some posting on the website of that. That's still in effect. I've just had a crazy few months. March for me was literally March madness because I just had a lot going on. And so I've decided to make it uh, my summer challenge. So I'll watch a, a few movies each month um, over the course of maybe uh, three or four months and uh, hopefully have some good good reviews about those. Just kind of getting my emotional takeaway, my expectation going in, that kind of thing. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And so your your anime talk has gotten me inspired to to really kind of settle in and make that schedule pretty soon. So guys, look for that. I'm saying it on the air. So I'm committed now. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you're committed. And But I want you to keep your reactions somewhat short for some of them, because some of them I think we're going to want to do full episodes on. Maybe, maybe not. None of them. Well, I'll, I'll give you this. None of them are Miyazaki's. So, oh, okay. So they wouldn't impact a future Miyazaki mom. I don't. I don't believe so. What about Shinkai? Because there's a couple Shinkai films that I could talk about, too. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe. I'll, I'll have to look <laughs> at the schedule. But the, the whole point of it is there's a breadth of directors. And a wide, a wide yeah, view and of it's going to be styles. done. Yeah, and it's going to be done chronologically within that framework of those twelve or thirteen, starting from like the late eighties and leading all the way up to I think twelve uh-huh. or twenty fourteen. So I'm going to go chronologically just to kind of give myself a a vantage point of what anime has done over the last probably twenty thirty years yeah, from so different directors. Yes, I so like I'm, it. Yeah, so I've got the I've got the films already picked out and ready to go. I just haven't watched them yet. Well, there's one that I haven't seen that I really need to. So if you've got Grave of Fireflies on your list, yes, I'm guessing it is. You'll it need is, to tell yeah. me when you see it because it's supposed to be like one of the best ever and I haven't seen it and I would love I, to watch it. I think time. it's the first one, but I can't be sure. Well, let me know. I'll okay. watch it when you do. Okay. Sounds great. All right. Um, so the other thing, and both of these were kind of inspired by one of our listeners, Philip Hurd. He and I have been talking uh, just here, here and there about different things, anime and documentaries. He's a big documentary fan and he recommended a documentary as he was listening to one of our past episodes called Jiro dreams of sushi. And I've seen this thing pop up on Netflix. I had not seen it. I'm always excited when somebody recommends something to me because it's just fun. You know, Hey, you should see this. It's really great. And, um, having seen it pop up and not having watched it yet, I went ahead and, uh, and took the plunge and wow, this was incredible. Uh, as, as most documentaries are, it was incredibly entertaining, educational, all the stuff that you would find for the the hot points of watching a documentary. But it's about this guy named Jiro, obviously. <laughs> He's an 85-year-old sushi chef, and he lives 
in in Japan, and he's got this ten seat sushi restaurant, ten seat, not just a ten seat bar and then the restaurant. The whole restaurant is actually ten seat, and essentially he opens it up every night except for national holidays. And he does what's called, I can't remember the specific name for it. It's obviously a Japanese word, but it's essentially a three course meal or a five course meal where he serves you 20 individual pieces of sushi over the course of, I don't know, maybe an hour, hour and a half, depending on the ca- the conversation you're having with somebody next to you or, or whatever costs you 300 bucks to get in there. 300 bu- like American bucks. Yeah. Like 30,000 yen is what. Is what it translates to. That's okay. Hold on. What's three hundred divided by twenty? Real quick. That's a lot. So we're talking over ten dollars. Yeah, like twelve dollars per piece of sushi ish. Yes. Wow. Okay. Carry on. But the but that's not really the wow factor. I mean, that's a wow factor of the documentary. I mean, that was something that I was the first time they mentioned the thirty thousand yen. I got my phone out and said, "Okay, what is that in Google? What is that in Google word? Google Translate there." But the documentary touches on several different things. It touches on his life growing up, how he got inspired to become a chef, his family life, and and how that sort of inspired him. It talks about where his passions come from. It talks about his family life with his two sons. One of them is actually an apprentice that is poised to take over the restaurant when he retires eventually. Like I said, he's 85 years old and it doesn't look like he's going to retire anytime soon, which is kind of crazy. Uh, and his other son is a an owner of his own sushi restaurant that is actually a mirror image in terms of its architecture. And one of the things you'll find out in the documentary is part of the reason for that is because his son is right-handed and he's left-handed. And so the whole thing is just reversed uh, to to make way f- uh, for his son's expertise and his skills and stuff. So it talks about his family life. It talks about how they're involved with it. But it also talks about the, re- the, the restaurant itself and why it's so successful and how specific he is as a restaurant owner and as a chef and how highly he regards sushi. I mean, this is a guy who looks at making sushi as an art form. Um, he's gone on record as saying he didn't actually dream of sushi, but he does think about it a lot. I think that was one of the quotes that, that he says, because he obviously he didn't want to make it sound like he was being too literal. But it even goes into talking about the the market where they get their fish like every day. So they go to a market to get the fish for that day and that day only because they want it to be fresh. And so the documentary even takes you on a journey to the market shows you kind of how the vendors themselves have connected with him and his family through that, how they've developed this incredible relationship. And it even goes into a little bit of detail about their lives as, as vendors and how they go about getting the different kinds of sushi. There's a, there's a market that they go to that early in the morning, there's this giant auction that takes place. So think of it like this big warehouse with all these slabs of tuna just laying around and you see all these people, all these vendors checking out what tuna they want to actually bid on. And then it gets all like bidding war. And so you've got these men just speaking really fast in Japanese that you can tell they're just trying to say, who's the next bidder, but that kind of thing, except it's not in English. And so it makes it even crazier to watch it from a, from a viewer's point of view. But overall, the documentary is just incredibly inspiring. It, it, it hits on these, these inspirational notes of, 
what will it take to get you to be the best at what you can be? And he, he talks about this, this idea of mastery. And, and this is kind of what I picked up from it. This is not really something he specifically talked about, but about the idea of always striving to get better and not necessarily trying to reach an end goal that the act of getting better is in and of itself something pretty amazing. And I think that's a fantastic work quality. I think it's something that exists in whatever you're doing passionately. Uh, to make sure that you're always leaving room to improve. You're always thinking, how can I make this better? How can I make this better? Because everything he does is incredibly repetitious. That's part of what makes him such a great chef Mm -hmm. is he does the same thing the same way every day. But within that routine, he changes things up slightly and it just helps his food get more incredible. He even says, and these are kind of Captain Obvious statements. He says, I don't want to eat. I don't want to serve food that I don't think is great. Like I want to, if I taste my food and I don't love it, I'm not going to give it to my students because they're not going to think it's great unless I do. Right. And um, so anyway, I'd rec- I really recommend if you're interested in um, at the very least being hungry after watching uh, something, uh, don't check this out, but at the very least, get it, give yourself a, an hour and a half to just enjoy this incredible documentary, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Well, good stuff, man. I, I, for some reason, I haven't seen it yet. I thought I had because I remember when it came out, it was, I think, an Oscar nominated documentary, if I can, re- if I recall correctly, or, or maybe it was on a short list. I meant to see it and just never got to it, but I, I will definitely watch it soon. Sadly, sushi's on the list of things I can't eat now because of carbs. Um, if I was ever going to go on a carb binge, though, that might be high on my list. Mm. I just can't do it without rice. It just, it just isn't the same. Well, the, the, another thing you'll know, sushi has never really been about the fish. It's always about the rice itself. That's oh, what see. sushi is really about. So yeah, I would even, I would not even be doing it right had, if I tried to do it. Without you'd be giving Jiro an insult by pulling off the fish. And well, I don't want to insult Jiro. That is especially for three hundred dollars a plate. <laughs> darn right. Yeah, I'm yeah. eating rice for that much money. Okay. Um, well, we want to make a quick announcement. We want to say thank you to John Adamus, and I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but John is a new patron. This this past week, he supported us on our Patreon website, and we're really excited about that, and we're grateful for everything he's given us. Um, our April donor pick episode has been decided by our voters, and that is going to be Road to Perdition. So that's just a little bit of a surprise. I actually expected Singing in the Rain to romp this thing. It came in a close second, but our listeners want Road to Perdition, so our listeners are going to get Road to Perdition. And they're also going to get that aforementioned bonus episode of our top five heist films. That will be out the last week of April. So you have time to become a patron and get those. You can do that at patreon.com slash film. I believe bonus content access happens at $2 and up and voting privileges start at $1 and up. So it's that we, we try to keep it cheap because we want more of you to have access to that content while also being able to support us and help us continue to grow and pay our bills and all that fun stuff. Um, lastly, speaking of Patreon, we do support some shows as well, and we want you to know about them. So here's one of those right now. 
Hello everyone, my name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the filmmaking industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. All right. Thank you so much. Now it's time to get into the meat, the good stuff. And uh, before we do, as we always like to say, we're going to give our obligatory spoiler alert. If you haven't seen this, please go see it. Wow. It's a movie that is worth seeing over and uh, over and over again. So I will spoil it only by saying that before we get into the, the good stuff. So um, come back after you've seen it, join the conversation and, uh, and really we hope you enjoy what you're hearing. So let's start out with our one word takeaway, Aaron, go ahead and get us kicked off with that. Well, I really struggled with this this week, actually, I will admit. And I struggle with connecting point as well when we get to that one, but not because I didn't know what to choose, but because I had so many amazing options that I felt were applicable to my response to this movie. So I finally settled on the word heart. This movie for me transcends the cliches of its genre by not only having characters that experience conflict, but by having the audience experience that too, by asking us, who do you root for? Unlike every other movie with a clearly defined hero and opponent to conquer, we need both Tommy and Brendan to win. That's what we want, but it can't happen. It also surpasses other films and stories of this type by weaving multiple stories of redemption into one tale. This isn't about one person. Both Tommy and Brendan are struggling to overcome something and they are driven to succeed by feelings that us regular folks in the audience can relate to. For these guys, it's not about becoming a sports champion. It's not about winning a belt like many, many sports films are. So the way in which their stories are connected through this lens of a broken relationship with their father to me, it gives the story so much heart and so much emotional weight. And you combine that with the incredible action filming, the moving score and soundtrack, the superb acting, and you'd really end up with something special. And I think this has just gotten better and better every single time I've seen it. It is in my top 100. And when I rewatched it this past time for note taking. I just, I even felt like it was too low in my top 100 because it is amazing to me. And I really, really love it. Yeah. Warrior is one of those things that as I was watching some of the reactions on social media, when you, uh, when you updated the, the picture, uh, one of the words that came to mind was underrated. Um, another person said, I wish more people would give this movie a chance. And it surprised me. It really did. Cause I was like, why? Why is this movie getting such, I guess, not negative press, but why isn't it felt more viscerally than it is? And um, 
so I, I watched it again and I hadn't seen this in, I don't know how many years, maybe since it came out. And I was kind of disappointed that I haven't put this on my rewatch list because my goodness, it was incredible just to be able to experience this again. And I love that we have things like the one word takeaway and the connecting point because it focuses my, uh, my attention on being more intentional with how I can really try to uh, approach a movie and how I can take something away. And the word that came to mind for me was layered. In most of these kind of hero quests, you have one central character and you have his gang of misfits or you have his support team and you have occasionally you'll have a, a small story arc with somebody else. And here we have, in, in my opinion, three different individuals on their own journey and they're all connected by this heart that you mentioned, by this want to win uh, for varying reasons. And that comes in the form of these, these two brothers and their, and their dad, you know, you have Tommy and Brendan and Patty really just driving this whole film and its narrative uh, to the end in some way, shape or form. And um, as we get more into this, we can, we can talk through that, but I think it surprised me at how many layers this had and how much was going on with each individual character and normally, and we talked about this on past episodes, how a movie will have these other subplots that will say, man, if they had just focused on that, it would have been a lot better. Or man, if they would have just scaled that back, it would have made this plot a lot better. And there's, there's there could be a potential fight between these different uh, perspectives and whatnot. This was the biggest surprise for me and so pleasantly. Uh, a surprise in that all three of these subplots, all three of these journeys working cohesively work so well together. They actually enhanced my visceral reaction to it. I feel like if I didn't have one, the other two would have suffered in some way, shape or form. Now, definitely there are some weaker ones and some stronger ones, but overall having all three of these uh, increased my love for the movie this time around. That's for sure. Oh yeah. I mean it that's the thing is I think it's so unique, right? It's different. Like we're so we're used to having one of these any one of these three stories. Yes. We've had them told before. Yeah. Putting them together and merging them and working them into this puzzle of broiled up pain and past history and emotion and drive to succeed for various reasons and all that's what makes this so unique it's the layers so you're yeah right. yeah yeah and i think that when i look at a movie like this each time that i think oh here comes a rocky cliche or here comes a sports analogy it kind of turns on me and i'm like whoa it didn't do what i thought it was going to do and so by the end of the movie i'm going who's going to win because i have trouble like who do i want to win you know I think that's an interesting thing to bring up um, because one of the things that I realized watching it this last time was this is a movie that we know or, or it's telegraphed, right? It is very predictable in the sense that we kind of know how the arc's probably going to go. Now, there's things about Tommy's life that are not predictable, right? We don't we, we would never guess that he's a war hero that that comes out of nowhere. But the idea, once we meet the characters, knowing, knowing what we do going into this story, that these are both brothers, this father, and 
They're on a collision course to fight each other is my point. We know that's got to happen. And or at least to me, it feels like that's a foregone conclusion. And yet it doesn't alter my enjoyment of this film a single bit, because for me, it's how we tell the story getting there. You're you, are you disagreeing with me? No. Well, yes, but in a good way. Okay. Um, because when, when I, this was almost my connecting point when there up until this moment, I, the way I thought the story was going to go was that Brendan, who was kind of the underrated fighter was going to be in Tommy's corner and that it was going to be a brothers and dad redemption story. Like it was going to be, Oh, MMA is going to bring these guys together. And it didn't turn out that way. The moment that, that solidified it for me is like, wow, I love where this is going is the conversation that Brendan has with Patty in the, in the driveway as he's walking in from, uh, I guess it's from, was it from the gym? Yeah. He's coming back from the gym. Right. It's at that moment that I realized, oh, okay, I, I see what, I see this is going to shape up. And now the tension in my, in my head is getting a little bit more. Cause I'm like, oh, great. I think they're going to end up facing off at some point. And who am I going to vote for? Vote for who am I going to root for? Because they both have incredible motives for for what they're doing, and I love the tension in that. And so I was pleasantly surprised that it didn't go the way I thought it was. So that's interesting that you kind of said, "Oh, it's going to end up this way," whereas I didn't know until that moment that okay, this is how it's probably going to end up. Yeah, I, I definitely didn't know how we would get there and what the stakes might be. And, you know, and, and, and I just didn't know the details, but I, I felt like from the very beginning, okay, we're on a collision course. We've met Tommy. We've met Brendan. They both are MMA fighters in the past. They're going to, they're going to brawl. Like this is, we're telling that these two duality, this duality of the story that is coming to a head. And it was really exciting to me to not care that that was probably going to happen in the end. It was right. more about what, how are we kind of like Creed, it is very yeah. similar to that. And I, and I love it for the same reasons. Like it doesn't matter to me that I know Creed's going to fight the ba- you know, the big bad champion in the end. Mm-hmm. It's about the journey to get there. Not even about what happens in that match to me. That's exciting. It's about how he's going to get through his life to that point. Right. Movies like this need to emphasize if they're going to be really good, uh, the importance of the journey, because that's really where your investment comes in the fight scenes or the, or the the battle, whatever it is, are the payoff of that. Uh, we get that in Creed. We get it in Rocky. We get it in these fight movies where we're like, we want our guy to win, whoever that is. But we're more invested in the fact that look where he's come from in order to say, we hope he wins. And you have to have that. Otherwise, you're just getting spectacle. And I, you know, I love the... I love the fight sequence. I thought they were fantastic, but they wouldn't been they wouldn't have been nearly as dramatic had we not had the journey of of these two brothers and their dad. You mentioned, I don't know when it was, maybe it was offline, that this was your Rocky. Okay, now it's no secret that I'm a huge Rocky fan, and I know that that wasn't a diss on my guy, but I'd like to get your inputs on. How how do you see that as your Rocky? You you said a couple of things, and I wanted to see if you could expand on that a little bit. Yeah, I actually went back and looked to see if I had written that somewhere when you, when I saw this in the notes. When did I actually say those words? It was I, yeah, it I was, found it in my letterbox review, and okay, it wasn't good. 
it wasn't quite that I said this was my Rocky, but I did make some sort of allusion to that. But I'll say it now, this is my Rocky. So I, I'm not ashamed. I will own that fu- fully and unapologetically. Here's the thing. Between this and Rocky, Ro- there's actually some very interesting similarities. Rocky is a Philly movie. Warrior is a Pittsburgh movie in a big way. Like Tommy's section takes place in, in Pittsburgh, and it's got this same kind of blue-collar feel to the way that things are going on. So I find that pretty interesting. Like of all the places this could be set, it's at Pittsburgh. Kind of a play on the fact that Rocky was in Philly. I feel like it's intentional. Fighting Philadelphia, fighting Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, both are underdog stories and there's even, there's more similarities, but the thing for me is that I didn't grow up on Rocky the way that you did. Now, obviously I lived at the same time you did and Rocky existed, but it just never was that big of a thing for me. I saw the films. I thought they were okay or good. They were fine, but I never latched onto them. And there's something about warrior this father fighting for his kids, fighting to make up his past mistakes that he's he's had as a father for them. And the brotherhood nature of this story really resonate with me more than Rocky's rags to riches pursuit of the American dream. And that is really what it boils down to. I also prefer MMA to boxing, so that might have a slight you know, play in it as well. And so, yeah, I mean, this is is my favorite fight movie of all time, period. Like, I asked this question on Stardust. It's this app where you give 30-second video movie reactions that I've been using. Encourage everybody to go check it out, by the way, at Stardust app or whatever. Download it. It's pretty fun. It's a cool thing, and you can uh, tag people. So I would love to hear what you guys think, what your favorite fight movie is, because that could be MMA. It could be boxing. It could be martial arts, Karate Kid, right? There's all kinds of films that could fit this mold of combat sports. But for me, this is it. And one of those other things that I also find interesting, I mentioned that the brotherhood aspect, Patrick, is something that I latch onto. I don't have a brother. I'm a single, I'm an only child. So I relate to this film because I can see the relationship of brothers being separated for a time period and then coming back together in our friendship, not because we hated each other during a period of time, but because there was a gap in time. Right. right. Also, I can relate to Tommy's feelings of the military. There's a really powerful scene among a million where he tells Brendan, why are you showing me pictures of people I don't know? Were you in the core? Then you're no brother to me. And that I got. I got that wholeheartedly. And so I connect with that kind of stuff in this movie more than anything I could ever connect with in Rocky. That was the surprising thing for me is that one of those layers being his military background, because it definitely gave him agency. It gave him motive for doing what he's doing, but the way in which it was revealed in such a subtle way, you kind of wondered, okay, is he, is he a renegade? Is he a hero? Oh, he's both. And that may be something that resonates inside this movie is, can it be both? You know, I think there's a sense of the word both in a lot of what we're talking about here. And part of that is when we talk about your traditional mode of storytelling, which is the protagonist. In a lot of traditional straightforward movies, and I'll use Rocky as an example, which is not a rags to riches story. It's a, it's something else. (laughs) 
<laughs> and we can have this conversation at some point, but there's definitely a clear protagonist. There is a, there's an, a, one protagonist, one antagonist and warrior does something interesting is it challenges our perceptions on who the protagonist is because it could be Brendan or it could be Tommy, but could it be both? And that was a question that I had leaving this viewing was going, did this movie have more than one protagonist? Were both of these guys quote good guys in a way? I mean, by the end of the movie, I, I had an idea of who I wanted to pull for because at this point it was going, okay, who has more to lose? <laughs> but that's kind of a cheap way out because both of them had incredible reasons for fighting the way they did. And I love the fact that you're bringing the military aspect of it in there because you could probably speak to, to Tommy's motive more than anybody having that, that kind of background. I mean, I'm a civilian. I mean, at the very least, you can get somewhat of a picture of that world. Right. And so when most stories have this, um, did the dual protagonists work for you? Did you see that there was, that they were both acting in that way or did you, did you, were you able to make a distinction between one or the other? Oh no, I, I 100% think that it's dual protagonists. I mean, on the movie poster, it's Joel Egerton and Tom Hardy. It's not one or the other. Mm -hmm. Neither of them is a supporting character to the other. It is two storylines converging, you know, and coming together. But we, no matter who you start with, you can't start with them both. So mm -hmm. to me, that has no real bearing on it. I don't feel like Brendan is just a player in Tommy's story, right. which I could see if you were going to go that, if you were going to believe that either one was the protagonist, I think you would almost have to believe it was Tommy because he's the starter, right? It's his kind of arc at the beginning where we begin or we start with. And so you could think, well, Brendan's got a role in his story and just happens to have his own thing but i know i think it's two and i think it could be three as well to be honest because patty his father while their father while definitely not as highly focused on individually his connecting roles to both brothers mm -hmm. all the way through the end is a very satisfying arc and it is an arc and He's also fighting for something and it, he's not fighting in a cage, but he's fighting very hard emotionally. He's fighting his history. He's fighting alcoholism. Mm -hmm. um, what my almost connecting point revolved around Patty. And that was that scene where he's trying to reconcile with Brendan. It wrecks me every time. Yeah. The one you mentioned earlier, he's stumbling through his apologies. He's barely able to ask for forgiveness. And I'll also add, Nick Nolte was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for the Oscars for this performance. I don't know how anyone beat him, to be honest. I This is one of the best performances I've ever seen for a supporting actor. I think he crushes this. His level mm -hmm. of going into this place with his nuanced speech, the mm -hmm. stumbling of the speech, the stutter, it's incredibly, incredibly moving and powerful. And so he's trying to ask for forgiveness from his son. He wants to see his granddaughters. And I mean, it, it, it hurts me like physically to watch it, but Brennan wants nothing to do with him. And all he wants to do is talk about how Patty only wanted to train Tommy because he was the front runner and not the underdog mm -hmm. and how he only stuck around when Tommy left because he wanted his dad to himself, but he never got that. And Brennan tells him, I forgive you but I do not trust you. 
And so it's, to me, it really elevates at that point, Patty to this new place where he's got, like you said, the relationship with Brendan that he's working through. He's trying to achieve forgiveness from Brendan and he wants to be a part of his life and his family. Simultaneously, he wants forgiveness from Tommy, but in a different way, it seems. And he's using the training regimen with him to get through that. Yeah. So I I think he's a protagonist as well. I think so too. I mean, at the very least, you could probably rank them. I, I, I find that the, I guess the, the, the obvious one would be Tommy, like you, like you said, because he, the movie starts with him and he's really kind of the, the anger in all of this because you wouldn't have, uh, you wouldn't have an event like Spart- Spartan, Sparta, Spartan. Yeah. Sparta. This Sparta. is Sparta. This is Sparta. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't have something like that without Tommy. But then I think about it and I go, well, no, Brendan kind of had his own reasons for attending this at some point. It was by more by accident than design. But yes, I would think if you're going to have one, it's Tommy. If you're going to have two, it's Tommy and Brendan. But definitely if you're going to have three, you'd have Tommy, Brendan, and Patty. And I think it's because of all of their drive to fight for these different things. You know, you mentioned Patty's fight um, against his need to have alcohol. You know, he's coming up on a thousand days. He said that twice. He celebrated his thousand days on that, that night when he's having this conversation with Brendan and Brendan's like, you want me, basically you want to give me a medal? I mean, I'm, I mean, congratulations, Bob on a thousand days. Thanks for telling me that. And he, he confronts these forces of nature like Ahab in this story that he's listening to. And it's brought upon by this crew, his family, you know, in some way, shape or form. And then there's, there's Tommy who's fighting for the family of the Marines. Again, this was the surprise story for me because I didn't know that when I found out that part of the, of the story of the narrative, then I was like, okay, I have something pretty, pretty valuable that I can, you know, pull for, for you. And, you know, so these Marines that were lost on that, on that day in Iraq uh, that sent him running. And then he's fighting against this guilt that he feels for abandoning and for, for having his comrade killed. And then there's that pure rage and power in the ring uh, that we get from those fights in Sparta. And finally, we have Brendan, who's fighting for his family's well-being, you know, and keeping the house. Uh, it's tactical, it's scrappy. He he wrestles, and he's a lot smarter than uh, than most of these guys. We see that, and I and I love the contrast between these two guys as they fight. You have <laughs> you have Tommy who comes in and basically just one punches his way and leaves. Yeah, he's like the anime One Punch Man. That's what my son said. He's like, he's he's literally One Punch Man. <laughs> and he is. Yeah, and then you have Brendan, who is strategic. He's the chess player. He's like, how can I get somebody in a How can I make someone submit? So one guy knocks people out. The other guy has them submit. And the thing that I love about that is knowing that they're going to fight at the end, wondering who's going to win, because that's something that we don't get a lot. You know, we wonder... In Rocky, I well, I won't go back to Rocky because that has a kind of a different ending too. But in most of these movies, the hero wins in some way, shape, or form. Either they win the fight or they get what they need or get what they deserve. And in this, up until they start fighting, I don't know who's going to win. Because you feel like one of them is going to have to lose. Like something they're not going to get what they want or they need. Yes, they're going to they're going to both 
someone's going to end up not getting the money and they're not going to get what it is that they came here for. And so there's that really incredible tension that makes the fight more valuable because I'm not looking for the means to an end at that point. I'm enjoying the means and the end. And it made me wonder, okay, is Tommy going to just one punch his brother (laughs) and it's done? I don't think so because there's a lot of, there's a lot of time left in this movie. Uh, And then I'm asking myself, well, if Brendan's going to win, how is he going to do this? Is he going to get Tommy to submit? That's going to be pretty incredible. And so it definitely made the payoff of that final fight that much more uh, entertaining for me. Oh, definitely. I think it's really cool, too, how they have those contrasting styles. It's just it makes it much more entertaining from a viewing standpoint. And it even goes further than that. Like when they're walking out the ring and, you, you know, you briefly mentioned this, Tommy, he punches, he knocks him out. He storms out the ring and just right down the walk. There's nothing. There's no recognition that he was even in a fight. It's just out the cage and gone. Brendan, you specifically see this after he beats, uh, I believe, his second or third opponent. Maybe it's his third. And he goes over and he checks on him after he's done. He Then he goes over a second time after he's had his hand raised and he gives him a hug. Like he's in there with the other opponents he's showing them respect it's just it's this completely different mindset you know tommy is fighting what is he fighting for he's fighting to exercise his demons i think in a lot of ways there are times in this movie patrick where i do not like tommy and i found myself questioning why i was rooting for him the way he treats his father i get being upset okay i don't understand the feelings that tommy must have had toward his father because i've Never experienced anything close to that, and I, and I never will. But the way he it, – it, it made me wonder why did he even seek Patty out if all he was wanted to do is continually treat him like crap and express anger towards him. Yeah, see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slightly disagree with that. But he, he clearly sought Patty out because he knew the qual- – and he, he said it probably th- – two or three times in the diner when he was setting this thing up, Patty was his trainer. He recognized Patty as an important means to an end for him. He's like, I need somebody to train, train me and you're the best, but by no means make this anything more than what it seems like. And there were two or three times when he said, did you not hear what I said? This is nothing. You're nothing to me. I'm just using you. I mean, he is very blatant in that. And so oh, no, I know I'm saying like, if you're going to do that, why continually be hateful to him. Well, I think you could could take his training and use it without being hateful to him. Well, I think he's responding to the fact that Patty's trying to be cordial with him. Patty's trying to reconcile. And he's like, no, I don't want that. I mean, his meanness, I think is almost in its own way justified because of the fact that he said from the beginning, all I want is for you to train me. Nothing more, nothing less. There's that great scene when Patty walks into his upstairs room and he has his coffee ready for him and he's like singing or whistling or something. And he shows him the poster of him and the wins that he has versus the, that Greek, Greek God or whatever it was. Yeah. And, and Tommy goes, you can take that poster and you can put it back where you got it. I'll make my own coffee and I can get myself up. Yeah. I mean, and that tells me that he's like, look, I didn't ask for this. I asked for you to train me and that's it. Stop what you're doing. And that, I mean, and each scene with him when he's just berating his dad is just completely brutal. Like that scene in, oh, in the, in the casino, 
Oh I my! Oh, it's it. awful. It's, it's awful for me to watch it. Yeah, but in its own way, I'm almost supportive of Tommy because he's like, your dad is not respecting what you've asked him. You you said this is what I want, and I don't agree with it at all because I hate that. I hate the fact that they have this kind of tension, and I see what his dad's trying to do and all of its goodness. But from Tommy's perspective and all the stuff that he's got inside him right now, he doesn't want it. All he's just trying to do is do his thing and he doesn't need what he considers a distraction in there. And the line from that scene that really stands out to me, he goes, you know what? The one thing me and my brother have in common is the fact that we don't want anything to do with you. Yeah. What he says. And it's it's hateful. It's hurtful. But I don't think he's doing, I don't think he's trying to poke the bear at this point. I think what he's trying to do is just make a point Mm. as bad as it is a point and as as hurtful as it is. I don't think he's just doing it intentionally to say, I'm just going to get back at you. I think he's saying, leave me alone and let me do my thing and do what I've asked you to do. Interesting. Well, they definitely get something different out of that training agreement. (laughs) You know, they're, they're in it for different reasons. That's right. Obviously, 100% 100% for sure. Um, but, at, you know, as for Brendan, it's it's fun to talk about him because, you know, in a lot of ways, he's more relatable for us. We probably can't fathom the type of rage that Tommy exhibits in this movie, the hateful anger and that mm. just burning need to destroy things. But it's easier for us to think about what if we were in a situation in our lives where we feel kind of stuck, you know, we... We have our house that's about to be foreclosed on. That's something we can we can relate to. We can think about that. Um, and how would we push to avoid having that happen? I I love Brendan's storyline. I like everybody around him. The support system for me is what makes him so interesting. This whole relationship he has with his wife, first of all, yeah, it's really is great because it's really she great. is a strong character. She doesn't say oh, you go do what you need to do. She tells him straight up over and over. She's like, nope, this is not okay. You know, she says, I really, when he comes back and he's on the phone, that one, <laughs> I love that line. I, love that like, line. I really enjoyed the conversation that we just had about you making that decision. And I'm just like, oh, <laughs> right. But like, yeah. she does that multiple times throughout the film. And yet, yet here's what I love is that she never leaves his side. She is never not supportive. This is not, this is a great picture of a marriage to me, a healthy marriage where couples have conflict and they want different things and they make choices to hide things from each other at times, but they never leave each other over that. Like it's, they work through it and it's kind of messy and kind of hard, but ultimately she has his back. I mean, does she show up? She shows up, right? She can't, she can't not show up. I love that scene of her watching the phone and freaking out. Like she's trying so hard not to watch it on TV. Yes. Like she's trying to like be this strong, determined person, even though her heart tells her she needs to, you know, she wants to participate. She's like trying to prove a point. Yeah. And ultimately she gives in. She's like, no, I need to be there for him and for me. And so, yeah, I love her. That was another almost connecting point for me was that one moment was where she's, eat, it was, she's eating that bag of chips and she's in the background in a kind of a blur with the phone in the foreground. And then she rings and she just jumps for it and picks it up and she reads, I won. And then like when she raises her fist in there, I'm like, yes, I'm raising it with you because he did. Yep. This is one of those movies for me too, that I, I respond physically to cheering and, and get I, up I, off my seat. 
I think we've seen enough movies with male protagonists that have strong supporting females in them that more movies need to have this. If you're going to have a strong male lead that justifies having a, a female uh, supporter, you need to make sure that she's strong too, because these movies are fantastic. There have been enough movies out there that say, yep, strong female lead or strong female supporting cast uh, really kind of amplify movies like this. Agreed. And, and her arc is, you know, minimally comparative, not anywhere near because she's an actual fully fleshed out character. But I love also like how Tommy has the support of the Marines. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he doesn't know them, that great moment where they're singing the Marine Corps hymns at, at the fight, the Marine Corps mm-hmm. hymn, and they, and he acknowledges them. It's the first time he's acknowledged anybody. I got, I get chills because I understand what that means to him in that moment. I mean, I get yeah. choked up thinking about like how that must have affected him. It's the first time he's let anybody be, be able to get a response from him. And so I love that. But the relationship that was, this whole relationship was almost my connecting point. Again, like I truly had probably 10 that I would be satisfied using. We can just say this is a movie filled with almost connecting points. It, really, it's, it gives me emotional acupuncture. Okay. Um, That's a great way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> Frank Grillo. Okay. As Frank, mm, the trainer, let yeah. me tell you, this is an amazing character. And this is part of what makes this movie so high and so uh, beyond other films is it can take a, a man and a person like the trainer and for me, it shows me someone and something that I've never really seen before in the way that he he's portrayed. This relationship between Brennan and Frank is so great. Right when we meet him, he's a, he's very much like Jennifer Morrison's character, the wife. He's blunt. He tells Brendan, you never listened to me even when I trained you. You never listened to anyone. And that comes back later in the fight because in the end – Brendan has to listen to him. We'll right. talk about that. But then later when Brendan is like, come on coach, like I know this isn't necessarily the best time, but our boy just got hurt and we need somebody. And Frank kind of chuckles and he's like, Sparta, you have a better chance of starting a boy band. Like <laughs> he's incredibly blunt and honest. Yeah. But ultimately I feel like his confidence, Brendan's confidence evokes that trust from his coach and his friend. Yeah. And he wins because he listens to Frank, right? In the end, this was going to be Jason's connecting point right here. This this single line of this sentence of dialogue where there he's in Brendan's corner. It's toward the end of the fight. And mm-hmm. Frank says, why are we here? You don't know or you don't knock him out. You lose the fight. You don't knock him out. You don't have a home. You want to talk about motivation? Like it motivated me. I wanted to go knock him out at that moment for yeah. Brendan. So the the way that Frank has built up to that moment is what allows it to be so strong and so meaningful, at least in my opinion. I really love him as a character. And I, I love that line too. I don't know if this was intentional, but I'm thinking about it from a screenwriting perspective. That line could have fallen very flat in terms of being somewhat somewhat materialistic. I mean, yes, being foreclosed on is not the thing you want to do because we're told during the scene in the bank that you know bankruptcy is an option, and we know he's never going to take that. But when he says that line, 
and I can't be sure. So I'm going to, I'm going to trust you with that line and trust Jason. He doesn't say house. He says, he didn't say you don't have a house. He says, you don't have a home. Oh yeah. It's home. I wrote it down verbatim. And so there's something significant to me about that line in the fact that you will be broken because of this. You will be here and you will be filled with regret and you'll be filled with, if you don't leave it all on, all in the ring here at this point, you're going to lose something. It's not just going to be the roof over your head. It's going to be a piece of yourself. It's going to be a piece of your family. Um, and I think there's a lot that goes into that line that, that you come away with going, there's a lot at stake here, not just a financial stake, but an emotional one, but a, uh, you know, a moral one, all these things that you have got to push through. Like this is the moment that, and I'm, I'm speaking as a trainer, like this is the moment that you have where you can prove me wrong and you can prove everybody wrong by being the guy that you say you're going to be and that you've trained yourself. And, and I, and, and it's what I think makes his relationship with, with Frank so sincere is because at that moment, I think they're both trusting each other. They are. And right before that piece of dialogue, Frank says, what are we here to do, Brendan? Mm -hmm. Why are we here? He says, if you don't want to fight, if you don't want to win this, then let's go home. He says, let's, let's be done. We did amazing. And I think I feel like he, he's not, that's not sarcasm. That's not like Mm -mm, a tactic. He's a hundred percent serious. He's saying, Brendan, I don't want you to die. I don't want you to get hurt. If you're not in it anymore, if you have lost the will, then let's go home and be satisfied. Yeah. And he's willing to either walk or he's willing to support Brendan. And I just, man, it's just something I, you don't, I don't recall seeing in other movies. Well, and that line is so significant because early on when Brendan was trying to convince him to take him to Sparta, he said, look, it may have been before that first fight. I can't remember, but he says something along the lines of, look, there's a lot riding on my reputation. If you go down, it's on me. And I, you know, if you go down in 10 minutes, I, I can't, I can't come back from that. I've lost an incredible amount of credibility. So when he says that, when he says it's okay to throw in the towel, it's okay to leave. Now you have nothing more to prove. He's essentially saying you've done what I've asked you to do and more. I'm not expecting anything else. And Brendan's like, I've got this, yeah. you know, and that that's the moment. They're in I, it together. They're they in are. it together. Yeah. We, what are we here for? He didn't say, what are you here for? He says, what are we here for? Gosh, to be on that journey together. I think that whole sense of having people in your corner, figuratively, literally, or whatever you want, is such an incredible part of this movie. And that's why I think the moment when you see the Marines doing their thing and Tommy responding to them, I think that's another connection that, we see where even he had to have some kind of support in some way, shape or form. He had it with his comrade's wife. You know, when he calls her, I love that scene Ugh, where he, yeah. how soft he gets. I mean, you can see uh, Tom Hardy's incredible. So all is. of the acting in this movie is incredible. All but you, there's, but yeah, it's I started noticing him and his, the way in which he responds to different people to her, you see how relaxed he is, how his shoulders slump a little bit when he's talking to her. Um, you see a little bit of that in the conversation with Patty in the diner where he's all hardcore with him. And I don't know if a lot of people notice this, but the waitress comes up and she says, what can I get? She goes, hey, coffee would be great. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, he's just very, very nice. I'm like, oh, he's a neat guy. No, 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 he's not. And there's just so many moments where we see a softening of him that we're not expecting and it's those moments that stand out to me in his performance because of those, uh, because of the fact that he doesn't have a lot of them. 
And so when we see them, it either makes you go, is he really that way? Or it makes you go, wow, he d- there is a heart inside all that muscle. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you brought that up because I had written something down about a scene that I, another one that I love that could have been a connecting point. <laughs> and it, it's kind of the opposite of that, where it shows his body language to me and you get a sense of how defensive he is. And it's that scene where he meets Brendan on the beach. Mm. My gosh, the way he's holding his body at the beginning of that confrontation, he is almost, it's almost like he's ready to fight, like physically almost in a stance, mm-hmm. but he's just defensive and he's in, in it, yet his face is kind of held back. Like he's clearly not going to attack him, but his body is saying he might. And it's just, oh, I mean, I don't know. There's, I just get so much out of it. It's very visceral. And I, I don't know. That whole scene is just, oh, there's so many years of painful hurt built up that is unleashed there. And when he turns around, he's like, Tommy says, you got balls talking about forgiveness. <laughs> I was just like, oh, God, <laughs> they're, they're going to fight right Brendan. now. They're just, <laughs> just walk away. And then Brendan, right, conversely, he says, I never even got a chance to say goodbye to my own mother. You had no right to keep that from me. And you realize, like, at that point, gosh, they both wronged each other. Like, there's yeah. this is a two-way street. Yeah. And so this scene, to me, it makes that incredible release of anger and emotion during their fight scene so much more impactful. It makes it mean something because we got to see them interact beforehand, and we really understand what it is that they're trying to do. And in, in short... They had to work it out. And this is how they worked it out in the ring. Yeah. It's all just, uh, I don't know that we could say much more. I did want to talk a little bit about one of the big themes of the movie, and that's this theme of redemption. And I wanted to ask, um, when it comes, there's definitely a redemption story here for each one of them could have that. But I wanted to ask you, do you feel like each one of them got what they needed? or wanted from this in some way, shape or form. And I'm talking about Tommy. I'm talking about Brenda and I'm talking about Patty because the movie kind of ends (laughs) like there's no, there's no set of, there's no title card that says in the end, Patty got what he needed. And Tommy and Brendan, you know, went on tour for the MMA championship. You know, they did, there's nothing there. It just kind of goes credits. Um, And so I I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Can I like just, can I kind of take a rain check until connecting point time sure, to answer that question? That. <laughs> okay. Well, for me, I would say that there's definitely a lot here when it comes to their redemption. And I love the fact that each one of them has this journey in, in his own way, shape or form, because as we mentioned before, you can have one person's journey and be satisfied. But when you have a layer after layer, after layer of these three guys and they're converging at different points. I seeing this visual like connection between each one of them with the other um, paired up. So you have Patty and Tommy, you have Patty and Brendan, you have Brendan and Tommy, you have these three significant moments along with a couple of other big moments that tell me, look, they're all on their way to something. And so my hope is that in my heart, I want all of them to get what they want or need. But the tension with all that is that the end of the, you know, the movie is telling me they're not all going to get 
what they want or what they need. And what is that going to be? And it creates a sense of ambiguity and it creates a little bit of excitement for me because you hope for that, but you know that it can't happen for all of them, maybe. <laughs> and so you kind of wonder, how is it, how is it going to end is, is, is kind of the, the question I have. And um, so if you're cool, I mean, I'm good with dropping into connecting points unless you've got some other stuff. Almost. Um, okay. I, I want to mention, because I think it's incredible, the cinematography in this film and specifically the cinematography and the editing. So the cinematography is done by Masanobo Taika Yanagi. I am not familiar with him, but I'm familiar with his movies. He did The Grey, which is also a beautiful, beautiful film. And it just really stands out to me. I think that team creates uh, an incredible atmosphere. They use a lot of close-up shots on faces when they're speaking, even between conversations, shifting back and forth. And then that frenetic action really makes you feel like you're in the fight. And it's got this way of being both dramatic and also gladiatorial in nature. So I think that the editing and the cinematography in this really do something unique to elevate it. And it's shown by another almost connecting point, which was <laughs> the training montage. Every fighting movie has a training montage. Okay. Sure. It's a cliche, whatever it happens. This one's different because we have multiple fighters training. We get multiple scenes. So I think that the way they did this was awesome. They give you these little, I don't know what you would call it. I don't know what the technique would be called, but they're, they're multiple boxes on your screen. So you're seeing screenshot at the same time of Tommy running and Brendan sparring and, you know, Patty driving around with Tommy. It's these segments and they're all interspersed with media coverage. Um, we've got guys from the radio talking. We've got people on ESPN and MMA talk shows. We see Marines watching Tommy's footage and we see, um, family time with Brendan around the table with his wife and his girls. It's, and it's all set to Beethoven's Ode to Joy, this kind of twist. In the music in this is amazing. So it's all set to that, which is Frank's thing, right? Is training training his fighters to Beethoven. And I just, man, it all works so well for me. It gets me incredibly hyped. And by the end of that thing, I'm again, I, I'm telling you, it's like Creed for me. I'm ready to go in the ring. I'm ready to step in the octagon and do it for them because you motivated me somehow. I think what montages do is they help accelerate a story because at the beginning of all this, before that montage, we were what, six weeks away from Sparta. And so montages give you the ability to tell a lot of exposition. I say exposition, a lot more of your story in an accelerated fashion through the use of visuals. Um, Instead of a title card that says six weeks later. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you get some of that, but you get it interspersed with those different cuts I also like the fact that we get a little bit of reality mixed in with motion picture, I guess would be the way to put it. Um, going to, to Rocky Balboa, the last film in the Rocky franchise, uh, there was some intentional film work done in that to make it feel like you were watching a pay-per-view event instead of an actual movie. And so it was shot, the fight scenes were shot as if you were watching a boxing match. And I think that the montage here accentuates that because we have the, the ESPN, uh, personalities intermixed. And I actually looked up online and said, does Sparta actually exist? Is this a real thing? And uh, it's not, but um, maybe it inspired some stuff. I don't know. I haven't, I'm not a big MMA guy, but the fact is what we have is a lot of 
believability even within the confines of of a movie. Yes, absolutely. And to your point there, I am an MMA fan and I've it's fallen I've fallen off over the recent years because maybe a decade ago when MMA was kind of starting off getting big and UFC was in its more infant years, we had really great personalities, kind of like boxing, and there were guys to root for and the sport as a whole was just marketed a lot differently. Now it's closer to wrestling and the spectacle Hmm. of it and the personalities aren't the same the ones at the top there's just not those those classic guys you know and love to like root for and stick with over time and so i've i've lessened on it but the interesting thing is that this kind of event does exist i think at lower levels and smaller scale but the magnitude of what they're asking these guys to do is over a course of like a weekend right two days you have to fight four times and that is incredible. Like you, I, the fact you couldn't do that, right? These guys take six months in between fights. T- they take six months off typically to go mm-hmm. heal up and rest and get ready and strategize. They're fighting twice in a night in this film. In this and four, four, four times, essentially. And four times in two days in order to win this thing. It's unreal. And that's why they call it what they call it. It's to find out who's the toughest guy on the planet. Because the only one who's going to survive this is the toughest guy on the planet. Right. I, uh, I think that when you combine everything from like the cinematography to the music to the acting, what you have here is, in my opinion, a five-star movie. I'm going to go ahead and say that. I think it's, I mean, it's, it's got these elements of things that I'm familiar with. It's got these things, these elements that I wasn't familiar with. And so overall, I look at a movie like this and saying it needs to be watched by more people, not just fight fans, not just fans of hero quests or whatever, but people who want to be inspired and entertained and emotionally just poked and prodded. I think that this movie has the, the opportunity to both inspire, educate and entertain. Yeah, absolutely. Agree wholeheartedly. So I'm ready for connecting point now, if, if you are, but um, you should go first. Okay. I'm going to go first of all the scenes that stood out to me. The one that really just hit me the most was the scene just after Tommy berates Patty in Vegas uh, at the casino. Not Vegas. I'm sorry. It's Atlantic City. I don't know why I said Vegas. In the casino. Same thing. Vegas East. Vegas. Okay. (laughs) After he throws the quarters at Patty. And and (laughs) the next morning, we hear Patty just yelling. And we're like, what is going on here? And so we're sort of disoriented, just like Tommy is when he opens the door. And we see Patty, who is well past his thousand days of sobriety with these headphones on. And he is yelling and he is crying and he is red faced. I mean, he is absolutely just in anguish and in anger. And we're like, what is going on? And he is responding to this audiobook of of Ishmael and Moby Dick and we're like what is happening here and all of a sudden this 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 whole culmination of of Patty and what he has been trying to do is broken like he has tried to hold it all together he has tried to apologize and make amends with his two sons and after that moment the night before, we see him just a completely broken individual. We see these still shots of empty bottles everywhere. And we know that he's completely broken his 
his sobriety at this point that he has gone on a bender and he is yelling at the top of his lungs, responding to Ishmael, Ishmael, turn the ship around you SOB, turn the ship around. And we look at Tommy, this hardened individual, and we see that soft moment, one of those soft moments from him where he, I don't know if in that moment he's feeling sorry for his dad or if he's feeling connected. But if I didn't know at that point, I got confirmation of what he was feeling when he hugs his father and when he brings him over to the bed and he doesn't just lay him down to let him rest. He gets behind him, man, and he pulls him towards him like a father to a son. And he is just going, shh, and he is rocking him. And he's doing, uh, this is probably the most tender moment for me in the entire movie. And it's coming from the person who is probably the, you expect the least from. And I broke at this point. I was like, this is incredible because it's saying so much without saying a word. I mean, Tom Hardy's, his, his facial expressions, the way in which he just has, as his body has relaxed, tells me he loves his dad no matter what, as much of a battle as he has gone through as an individual, as much of a battle as he's gone through with his family, with his dad, with his brother. At the end of the day, Patty is his dad and he loves him. And I think in that moment, he understands him in some way. Um, we don't get a lot of explanation. We don't get any explanation, actually. It's just really left up to interpretation. But I think what we see is humanity in, in Tommy and what he does. And I'm glad that that happened just before this final fight between him and Brendan because it gave him more agency for me as an audience to pull for him. You know, up to that point, he'd been knocking guys out and leaving the ring. And so I was like, okay, well, I know who I'm pulling for. And with that, I was reminded that he's a human being too, and that he has the capacity to love and care for someone. Obviously he does with his fallen comrades, wife and, and children, but to, to have that father son relationship kind of reinforced in that moment was just so special. Yeah. I, I think that is absolutely the most tender moment in the film for sure. And I, I don't know how to read it either. hundred percent. I mean, I don't know if it's out of sorrow and genuine connection to his father or what. Um, but I think that chink in his armor and mm -hmm. he's, he's starting to break down and emote right. a little bit over the course of the film. I think all of these interactions slowly affect him and soften him to the point where, he has that response and, and man, is it, is it great? Because yeah. if we didn't have that, it would totally change the ending of this film to me. Um, I don't think we would care as much as we do. That's a true statement, but we right. do. And we do so much that it's a connecting point because <laughs> uh, listen, I sometimes really try hard not to necessarily go with what I consider a gimme or a layup for a connecting point. To me, the ending scene in this film, the ending fight on, is a layup. It is a gimme. It is so obviously moving and touching to everyone that watches this film that we could all choose it. And I thought long and hard about picking something else. The fact of the matter is, this is when the tears come most for me. Okay? Everything about the lead up. We start with the national song. This is a band that is amazing they make beautiful music they have a song that starts the film and that song is titled start a war 
appropriately. This film has a song now that plays all throughout the final fight and the ending. It's called About Today. And I want to read the lyrics to this because it's important to understand the context of the lyrics that are being sung over the fight. Song says, Today, you were far away, and I didn't ask you why. What could I say? I was far away. You just walked away, and I just watched you. What could I say? How close am I to losing you tonight? And it goes on like that. But that part right there, how close am I to losing you tonight? Those are the words that are playing over this fight between Brendan and Tommy. Ultimately, he breaks his brother's arm, which is crushing to watch. And then watching Brendan switch into brotherly, big brother protection mode for Tommy is just so overwhelming to me. He goes back to fighting him because Tommy says, Tommy won't let, let him. Tommy won't let up, right? He will not break that wall down. And Brendan's like, all right, if that's what you want, I'm going to respect it and I'm going to continue fighting you. And I feel like that's what he's doing. He's not doing it to win anymore. He's doing it because he wants to show his brother that he loves him enough to do what his brother wants him to do. And then you got the look of his dad, right? The look of approval, the look of recognition he gets. And you get Brendan in the ring and the dialogue. I'm sorry, Tommy. Tap, Tommy. It's okay. I love you, Tommy. And I, I mean, I'm broken at this point. I'm not going to lie. I'm like embalming. Um, it's, it's wild because as soon as he says that, Tommy taps. It's like, it's like all he needed to hear, right? In that moment, it finally is what he needed. And to me, Patrick, that's what the resolution is for Tommy. You ask me, that's it right there. When yeah. Brennan says, and it's almost kind of a comparison to when Tommy's holding his dad. It's almost like that same sort of hugging motion. Yeah. Brendan's got him. And he's saying, just tap Tommy, let it go. Right. Yeah. Let me have the control. I love you. I trust me. And he does all of that. He walks him out of the cage, protecting him, shielding him. It's amazing. You get Patty's smile of pride and relief and happiness it focuses in on his face. And he just barely comes to a smile. He's so proud. And for me, that's Patty's resolution is that his boys love and forgive each other. I don't think it has anything to do with what they feel about him. I think it has to do with seeing them connect again. And to me, that's enough for him. He feels like that's what matters most. Yeah. And he had a hand in that. I mean, all the way out to the walkout, Tom Hardy even has a tattoo of his mom. I feel like that being center frame as they're leaving the arena is also intentional. I think Gavin O'Connor meant to do that. I mean, their mom has played such a central role in them being apart. And now here they are. He's got his arm around him, kind of touching that tattoo. It's just, it's beautiful. It's one of the best endings in film history, in my opinion. And I could not love it more. And I, I definitely think it's, uh, you know, my connecting point. Well, don't think it's your connecting point. Own it, man. That's your connecting well, that's point. That's what I mean. It is my connecting point. <laughs> man, you're exactly right. I think it's it's a fantastic way to to end the movie. And Gavin O'Connor, you know, I think for us, he's two for two. You know, with this and Miracle, we both uh, have just really enjoyed. Wait, his... he's Miracle? Yeah. 
No way. So I did not realize that. I was going to say that he also has another really underrated film called The Accountant that stars Ben Affleck and Anna Kendrick that I highly recommend folks check out if you haven't. It came out last year, right? A couple years ago. A couple years ago. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ben Affleck has – oh, I don't even want to guess because if I get it wrong, I'll be – I'll feel bad. But he has some sort of mental – learning disability of some sort and it makes him a genius of course and he's an assassin and it's it's wild but it's really good <laughs> gavin o'connor is a great director and guess what he has suicide squad too oh so, so i don't know might, do we dare have hope we might many many so that one <laughs> i mean do we have hope that it's going to be a good movie actually well, i have hope in gavin o'connor i mean i know I mean, he's two for two for me. I guess he's three for three for you. Uh, I haven't seen the account yet. So yeah, I, I mean, it's not, a, it's not a five-star film, but it's a, it's a really good movie. So yeah, he's he's great. Well, good stuff, man. Whew, that was awesome. Great discussion, man. Listen, if people want to get in touch with you, if people want to continue this discussion about uh, about Warrior, where can they find you on the, the social media webs? You can find me everywhere at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. It's on Twitter and Facebook. You can also find me in the Facebook group, which is our amazing place that everyone comes to talk about movies all week long. You can find links to that in the show notes and on our website or by just searching for the Feel and Film Facebook group on Facebook itself. Yeah, and you can find me at Facebook and Twitter at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. Just uh, key that in and you'll be able to find me pretty easily. Uh, next up, we've got Moneyball with Chad Hopkins over at Cinescope. That'll be a really fun conversation to kind of indirectly kick off the baseball season. I know we're both excited about that. And we're going to continue our catch-up of our donor picks by talking about Lost in Translation later this week. So be looking for that probably on Friday, as we're prone to do with some of our, our mini-sodes. With that being said, thank you guys for listening. Aaron, enjoy the conversation as always. And until next time, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.